0: Welcome to our newest edition of Moving Abroad. Wanted to let you know before we start this interview here on Anchor.fm that you can see this interview now on YouTube. We have a channel, Moving Abroad Show. If you can't find it, look for, in their search button, Moving Abroad with guest Tim Lefel L-E-F-F-E-L. We hope you get a chance to watch it or listen to it here on the podcast. Either way, we appreciate you checking it out. Hello and welcome to our latest edition of Moving Abroad. It's been a while. We're doing our first video recording and also podcast. Most of the or all of the previous shows have been on a podcast. It's anchor.fm forward slash moving abroad. You can see we have Portugal, Costa Rica, Panama. We have a lot of places you can find out about from expats in those destinations. But today for our video, I feel like I hit the jackpot because I have a gentleman here, Tim LaFell who has written three books about traveling and about being abroad, moving abroad, that type of thing. We're going to talk about it and find out some good information about economical ways to live in other countries and different things like that. So without further ado, let's add Tim to the program. What's going on, Tim? How are you?
1: Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me on, Doug. Sure. Hey, uh, let's start with where you're from. Were you born in the United States? Yeah, I was I was born in Virginia in the Shenandoah Valley and uh, went to college in Virginia, and then lived in Nashville, Tennessee, and New York because I used to live, used to work in the music business, and then I went traveling, and that was all she wrote. <laughs> What'd you do in the music business? I worked in marketing, trying to make bands famous. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, especially right out of college. It's a you know, one of those kinds of careers that you go into because it sounds fun and glamorous and it was a lot of fun, but, um, I, uh, went traveling and decided I liked that more and became a travel writer eventually.
0: Okay. So are you a nomad or do you have a permanent residence somewhere?
1: I actually have a permanent residence in Mexico, although I'm not there right now. I'm in a hotel in Baltimore of all places. Um, but I, um, I live most of the year in Mexico in a city called Guanajuato and I own my house there, uh, free and clear. So that's my base. Although we, you know, before this pandemic, we moved around a fair bit, just, you know, a couple months here, a couple months there. And, um, I've still got family in Virginia and in Florida. So when I come back, I spend time in those places.
0: Okay. I'll be interested to see why you pick Mexico, but before we get into that, what, what, is your motivation for doing this, for doing this type of travel and writing these books and, you know, looking at moving out of the United States into other countries?
1: Yeah, well, um, I'll, uh, take the last one first because, um, part of my motivation was moving out was, um, cultural, you know, just to live in a place instead of pass through. And I did that in my younger days. I taught English in Turkey and in Korea and then, um, once we had a daughter, um, when she was about 10, was when we made the move to Mexico and we went back and forth a few times, but that was the real motivation there. And of course the money savings. I mean, that's what my book's about. It's called a better life for half the price. And it's about how to live better without, um, spending so much money as you do in England or the U S or Canada. So that was part of it. Traveling. I just love being in new places with a new change of scenery, change of culture, different food and all of that. It just, uh, Keeps life interesting, I think.
0: Yes. So how would you compare other sources for places to live to what you do? I mean, I've read a couple today, as a matter of fact, and they're they're usually different, you know. So for example, uh the one I read today had Portugal number one. If you look at international living this year, they have them number five or six and Costa Rica's number one. You know, what's the art in trying to figure out the best place to live overseas?
1: Yeah, well, for me, I'm trying to combine the economics of it, too. So I wouldn't put Costa Rica anywhere near the top because it's the most expensive place in Central America. Um, Belize is not far behind. But, you know, if you're not concerned about the financial part of it, um, you can have a great life. I love Costa Rica. I've been there five times, probably. But um, it's not where I would choose to live because I just think it's not a very good value. Uh, But, you know, Those places, those publications all use different criteria. Sometimes they're crunching numbers. Sometimes they're doing surveys. Um, But all of that is a bit subjective because your number one place might be my number 30, (laughs) or vice versa. Um, But, you know, I do think the places that are near the top all the time are great places to live. I mean, there's a reason lots of people have moved to Portugal in the past few years. It's got a lot going for it. And it is a good value, I think. Um, And then, you know, others just come up high because of proximity. I mean, Mexico is easy to get to, and so it's going to rank higher than maybe the bottom of uh, Argentina, where it's uh, an all-day affair to get there.
0: Yes. People, though, and a lot of people in the United States, you know, are concerned about Mexico because the press makes a lot of it look bad and unsafe, even though it's a very large country. You know, a lot lot of people don't realize that that there are certain areas that are bad, just like here in the United States. Um, How would you respond to that? the safety issue
1: well i mean we just had another mass shooting in the us yesterday um a week after we had one in atlanta so i feel like in mexico i'm i'm less apt to be um a random victim of violence because i think a lot of the violence in mexico is what you get in the inner cities in the us it's basically um you know, cartel against cartel, gang against gang kind of stuff. I mean, that doesn't mean people are in the wrong place at the wrong time sometimes or they get caught in the crossfire. But um, for the most part, it's not something that affects your day to day life if you're an expat. Uh, there's less danger, I think, in terms of. Um, you know, having somebody pull a gun on you just because there aren't as many guns around. Yeah. <laughs> but, sure. um, you know, it is something to take seriously and be conscious of. I mean, you probably don't want to move to a place that's a known uh, cartel headquarters city, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some places that, that used to be okay 20 years ago that are not, like Acapulco. I would not want to live there. Um, but most of the places where there are already lots of foreigners you are probably fine. Places like Artists, San Miguel de Inde, um, you know, Playa del Carmen. I mean, of course things happen, but they're not any worse than your average U.S. location, I don't think.
0: So would you say it's easy if somebody moves there to pick up on where not to go if you're living there?
1: Yeah, I think so. And what not to do? I mean, you, like anywhere in the world, you're, you're not wanting to be stumbling home at 3 a.m. drunk by yourself. You know, that's not a good idea yeah. in too many places. Maybe it's OK in Japan or Korea, um, but not many places. So, um, yeah, I mean, just the usual common sense stuff. Um And oddly enough, there's not much pickpocketing in Mexico. There is in Mexico City, you know, if you get near the markets, especially, you got to, you know, have your valuables zipped up and whatever. But it's not really a cultural thing there like it is in, say, Rome or, um, you know, Milan or Barcelona, where it seems like half the tourists get pickpocketed at some point.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. A lot of those places, that seems to be the the thing, pickpocketing. You don't hear about it here. I I know what happens here as well, but it does seem to be a big warning for travelers so who are who are your the people your target market then so you're mostly writing about the most affordable places to live or do you look at other factors
1: Yeah better? and that, that shouldn't be the only factor because I think those people tend to be bitter expats that have only moved in for financial reasons and they don't really have any interest in the culture or the the people or the, the food, and they're just complaining the whole time. Um, you see a, a fair bit of that in some of the cheapest spots like Cuenca, Ecuador. Um, but yeah, I mean, I am trying to focus on places that are a great value and places that you can perhaps cut your expenses in half or more um, in terms of housing, utilities, food, and that kind of thing. Um, so my target market is uh, twofold. It's it's retirees who are looking to, you know, get more for their money in their golden years. Maybe they don't have as much saved as they should have or wanted to, and you know, some of them even are going to have to get by just on social security, and that can be a little scary in the U.S. Um, trying to live anywhere, even um, some rural location. But it's pretty easy in a lot of international locations, um, even in some beach spots. So um, that's part of it. And the other market um, is people that can work from anywhere they want and, you know, digital nomad types, but also those who just want to pick up their laptop and go somewhere else. And maybe it's not all year. Maybe they're just going for six months and then they're going back to, you know, their home in Canada when the weather's warmer. Mm -hmm. And so there's a fair bit of that going on all the time, too. But as you know, lots of people have become location independent in the past year who were not before. And so I think it's a growing market of those who can uh, even have just a normal corporate job, but do it from somewhere with better weather and cheaper prices.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's let's look at some different demographics because it's hard to pinpoint exactly who the people are, just like you just went through several groups of expats. Uh, let's start, let's say a lower income you know, social security, maybe only uh, somebody that's never had a lot of money that wants to move for financial reasons. What would be the top two or three places for that?
1: Well, Latin America is pretty easy if you're coming from the U S or Canada, because you can stay on a reasonably similar time zone and the flights are pretty reasonable. So that's where um, a lot of, a lot of people from North America end up, they just go South. So they head to somewhere um, like Mexico or Nicaragua or Guatemala in this, you know, closer areas or down to Colombia, Ecuador, um, Argentina, Peru. And so those are kind of the best bargain places you can, you could get by on two social security checks there pretty easily as a couple and live a a reasonably good life going out to eat, going out to cultural events, you know, having your medical care taken care of, even if you're just paying out of pocket. So um, those are good choices. If you go over to Asia, there's a lot of, there's kind of a cluster in Southeast Asia where it's um, Thailand, Malaysia, uh, Indonesia, Vietnam, Cambodia. Uh, Those are all a pretty good deal. Cambodia is the cheapest. But uh, if you have any medical problems, you're probably better off in Malaysia or Thailand because they have much better hospitals. So that's, you know, it kind of depends on what your considerations are. I will say the visas are more difficult in those countries unless you're retired. If you're retired, it gets a lot easier because then if you can just sock some money in a bank, um, you can get a permanent visa basically and hang out as long as you want. But if you're younger, it's much tougher and you end up having to do a lot of border runs. And then the other clusters in Europe, it would be the Eastern European countries, what we used to consider the Iron con, Iron Curtain countries, and also the Balkans area. So um, Albania, Montenegro, that area.
0: So those, Colombia, I know has been getting real popular for expats apparently, and that one's another one where you, you know, if you grew up at a certain time like I did, you, you just can't get Colombia out of your mind, you know, with the, the yeah. drug cartel situation. But it's, I've watched you know. all the
1: Narcos episodes, it's yeah. great. <laughs>
0: Yes. So, yeah, so people, but it's become very popular, especially Medellin. It's been uh, big now. What about the language barrier in those countries? I mean, all of those uh, are not English speaking for the most part, the countries and they don't really have as much of a focus as some others, say, you know, Portugal, for example, or some other places, Germany, where people know English fairly well.
1: Yeah. And even in Asia, I, I, I learned some Thai before I went there the first time. And that was a total waste of time because anywhere that tourists are, they speak English. Okay, <laughs> But but that's not a given in, in Latin America because Spanish is such a common language that, um, you know, they don't learn English as quickly or as, as readily. So it does help to have some Spanish um, and Brazilian Portuguese, but basically any other country in the Americas, um, it's gonna be Spanish. And fortunately, there's lots of resources out there for learning Spanish. I mean, it's probably the easiest other language in terms of tools you've got at your disposal. And, you know, there's TVs and movies and whatever. But there are, having said that, there are a lot of gringo areas where you can get by pretty well in English. And maybe you just need, you know, like a phrase book level of Spanish, we used to call it, you know, Mm -hmm. learn to order food, take a taxi, that kind of thing, and you're probably set. Uh, so, you know, I mentioned San Miguel de Allende in, in Mexico earlier, that's an hour and a half from where I live and I could go there and speak English all day if I wanted and be okay. And obviously if you go to some place like Cancun, Playa del Carmen, Tulum, Puerto Vallarta, um, Los Cabos, those places are quite well versed in English because there's such a tourism infrastructure and basically anybody, who wants to work in tourism, learns English. And so you can get by in a lot of places without it. But I do feel like you're culturally disadvantaged if you do that, though, because you really can't talk to anybody unless they speak your language and you don't know what's going on around you. You don't know mm-hmm. what people are talking about. You can't read all the signs. And so you are at a little bit of a disadvantage. But having said that, if you move somewhere like the Czech Republic or Hungary, I mean, good luck learning those languages and <laughs> that's much tougher.
0: <laughs> yeah. So now before we move to the next demographic, I want, want to ask you, cause you brought it up about the, the language and the culture. Do, do you find yourself mostly hanging around with English speaking expats or are you out and about
1: with the, yeah, more than I would like to. And that's more a matter of, um, just, uh, social ease more than anything, because, you know, we're hanging out on the same message boards or Facebook boards. Um, you know, we know each other by sight because there's not many of them around, you know, <laughs> like, so it's only a few hundred where I live. So you, you end up knowing half of them. Uh, but also I'm just not in the right social circles like I know some people who play in the local symphony because they're I've met them through parties and whatever um, I know a few people that run tour companies or um, you know run a bar or something like that but when I had a kid in school it was easier because I would meet the other parents and I would um, you know be with them on social occasions but where I am it's it is a little bit bit tougher to um, make friends with locals and I need to work on it more but I, this pandemic kind of put everything on hold in terms of socializing. So it's something I, I plan to work on more when I get back.
0: No question. It's changed a lot of things now. So let's go to the next demographic. Let's look at a middle-class person uh, that, you know, could live pretty comfortably in the United States if they wanted to, um, but have a little adventure in mind and they want to get out and, and try something different. Uh, what, what would be some good places for them? Where would be some good places?
1: yeah so the that's the important thing you brought up because a lot of people can live in the us fairly comfortably, but they'll just get a lot more for their money or they'll get you know a beach house let's say like you try to buy a beach house in the us you know it can cost you a million bucks and up in Florida or California anywhere you know desirable whereas if you go to um, lots of locations in Latin America or Asia you can get really nice house on the beach, you know, to rent or to buy. And so you can kind of, you know, upgrade your life or you can get a penthouse apartment in the city that's going to be really swanky. Um, So, yeah, you've got more options at your fingertips. Obviously, Um, it's easier to go city to city, for instance, like if you lived in, um, I don't know, Chicago, let's say, or Toronto, and you wanted to just get better weather and move somewhere abroad. Um, you could really upgrade your life in terms of what kind of apartment or house you get, but still have that, you know, nice urban living lifestyle that you want with everything at your fingertips. Or, you know, if you wanted to go to um, a place and own 20 acres, you know, and be a (laughs) gentleman farmer or whatever, you could do that for a whole lot less and be in a really desirable area. So I think it just opens up your options a lot more. You know, if, if you wanted to move to um, a beach community in Florida and found that the prices were just way out of what you thought you could afford or wanted to afford. Um, you can just sort of transplant that life to Central America instead and really live it up.
0: So give me some examples of some places maybe.
1: So, um, you know, there are beach locations all through Central America, but, um, you know, we talked about Costa Rica and Belize before, even in those places, you can upgrade your life and get more house for your money. But if you really wanted to do it up, then you could go somewhere, um, like San Juan del Sur in Nicaragua, or you could go to, um, the beaches of Colombia, Cartagena or San Mar- Santa Marta. Um, there are some beach communities in Ecuador and Peru. They're just not full-time all year uh warmth like you have in the more Caribbean areas because there's just weird Arctic currents coming up. So even though Ecuador's on the border, the the ocean there gets pretty cold in the winter. So some people will just go back and forth. You know they'll have a mountain location part of the year and a beach location part of the year in a in a country like that. Um uh, but then once you get to Southeast Asia, I mean you've got loads and loads of options. I mean there's hundreds of beaches you could live on there. And um and do it quite reasonably, whether it's a place like Koh Samui or Koh Phangan or uh, the Krabi area in Thailand. Um, And then there's lots of them in Vietnam and Malaysia that are quite nice as well. Penang is the big popular area in in Malaysia for expats. And um, that's like a town, uh, Georgetown. And then once you go out further, it's an island that has lots of beaches and there's others just scattered all over the country.
0: Yeah, the Asian one's interesting to me because it's just so far away. It's a really a big commitment if you if you choose yeah, one of those yeah. places.
1: It's hard to keep running a business or doing a job where you've got gotta be connected to clients back in the US or you know, Canada. It's really hard to stay in touch. You gotta basically turn your schedule on its head. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. So are the people there welcoming to expats from the United States in the Asian? Yeah,
1: world? for the most part. And I think in all these countries you can get domestic help quite Uh, reasonably. And so a lot of people are attracted to that. You know, you can have um, you can have a housekeeper or gardener or full time nanny and that kind of thing. So that's another way to really upgrade your life. But I think they're mostly welcoming because, yeah, we bring a lot of jobs when we move to these places and Mm -hmm. and uh, are generally free spending and and good tippers. (laughs) You know, they're generally happy to see us. I mean, not when we totally overrun a place, but I think that's more of an issue with over tourism than it is with expats. You know, I mean, places, when places get flooded with expats, they're usually happy because it's still only a small percentage of the population and they're able to get more for their house if they want to sell it, or they're able to, you know, charge more in their restaurant, that kind of thing. I mean, there's, that can build some resentment of course, Mm because prices go up for the locals. But, um, you know, if you're just looking to, uh, offload a of house you've had in your family for 50 years and really cash in. You can do it. You can get more money from it from someone who's moving there from abroad.
0: Yeah, I can imagine so. And that that has had an impact on some places where they have created these nice packages for people to move over there. Uh, Portugal, for example, the Golden Visa. Then they have all these real estate investors and it drives up the market for the locals, which can create a, a whole different problem. But uh, they're not the only example. There's several of those where the program is so nice that it's kind of become more of an investment thing than an expat deal.
1: Yeah. And and obviously you reach a tipping point at some, at some point where like, how many is too many? <laughs> and mm-hmm. then it becomes a problem. I mean, I know in Lisbon it's becoming a problem with real estate prices and probably Porto too, but you know, maybe the Algarve. But then once you get beyond those places, you know, there's just a smattering of expats in each town. So it's not such a big deal. Right. Okay.
0: So what about the next uh, demographic? Let's go with the wealthy. They got plenty of money, um, but they want to go somewhere different, you know, for an experience. What what would be some good places for them?
1: Yeah. So um, there are places like Los Cabos in Mexico that are Basically, aimed at the wealthy um, in terms of real estate. They're aimed at wealthy Mexicans too, but also wealthy people from abroad. And as expensive as that place is, like the prices make me choke when I go look at them, they're still dirt cheap compared to California. And so that's the comparison people are making. You know, if you have Silicon Valley money and you're looking to relocate, you know, you can get a a sprawling mansion on the beach for what you could for just like a basic house in California. So that starts looking appealing. But then anywhere else you go is going to be less than that. So if you want a a Miami kind of experience, you can go to Panama City and get, you know, three times as much as you could in Miami in terms of space for the price and really have that, you know, gleaming penthouse with a pool and a big party deck and all of that. So um, that's part of it. And of course, wealthy people are looking to, diversify their assets and maybe open a foreign bank account and uh, a foreign trust. And, and also it's that, you know, things some people want to have their flag planted in different countries in case all hell breaks loose and Mm -hmm. maybe have a second passport as well. So there are places that cater to that um, like Panama, um, like Belize. And so, you know, those are alternatives to the Caribbean islands that are sort of sort of known for that whole offshore game, but um, they offer a better real estate investment opportunity. And there are some in Europe as well. You know, of course, um, part of the people, you know, part of the demographic going to Portugal is not people trying to save money. It's people trying to, um, especially British, um, in light of Brexit, trying to, you know, plant, plant another flag and have a, a, a piece of property that they own somewhere else.
0: Mm-hmm. What about the Grand Caymans for rich people?
1: Yeah, I've got some friends that live there. They really like it. Um, They're not that rich, but uh, they do okay, but... You know, there's a lot of um, a lot of banker types there, uh, investment hedge fund managers and, and like, um, you know, if you have the money to to buy your way into one of these places, then, you know, the world is your oyster. I mean, there's a lot of options out there and there's getting to be more all the time because I think countries are starting to realize that um, this is a desirable market to attract and they're starting to compete with each other in terms of offering some kind of um you know, nomad visa or golden visa, like you were talking about, you know, come invest uh, 350,000 in our country and you can get permanent residency. Well, I mean, if you've got that kind of money lying around, that's quite an attractive deal. I mean, it's not like you're wasting it. You're putting it into some kind of investment and you're hoping to grow it. So um, that could be an enticing possibility. Mm-hmm.
0: What What are some of the advantages? You, you have citizenship, I assume, in Mexico and another passport you know, There's a lot of talk on these magazines and things about how great it is to have a second passport and a second place. What are some of the advantages to that, if there are some?
1: Yeah, I don't have that. It's actually more difficult to get in Mexico than it is somewhere like Panama or Colombia. Um, So I have not done that. I, I know a couple people that had Mexican heritage, and they were able to do that more easily. But yeah, I mean, the advantage of that is to have just a second option, like a lot of countries Um, will charge you more if you're from one country rather than another, or they give you a visa on demand, visa on arrival for some nationalities, but not for others. And, you know, during this pandemic, um, an American passport was not a great one to have um, in a lot of places because we just didn't handle the pandemic very well. Whereas if you had um, an Irish one, for example, you were, it led into a lot more places and, you know, that was, kind of temporary i don't think it's going to last traditionally a u.s one has been a very good one to have but anytime you can sort of hedge your bets it's probably a good idea
0: Mm -hmm. Uh what kind of advice would you give to people that are considering this and then follow up to that what kind of advice would you give people that have made that decision and have entered into a new community
1: yeah, well, I mean, I'm going to use this opportunity to plug my book since you par- yeah. threw it out there. But I have a book called A Better Life for Half the Price, and it profiles 19 countries that are both a good value and relatively um, reasonably easy to get a visa, a, a residency visa. And then there's some a few honorable mentions I threw in there, too. But um, yeah, you mentioned international living, um, Live and Invest Overseas, there's some other publications out there. Um, just approach them all with a grain of salt. I mean, I even in my book, I tried to give the pros and cons of each area and be very honest about the downsides. I think those publications tend to skip over the downsides sometimes and present maybe a rosier picture than they should. They also have um, partnerships with real estate companies, so they're <laughs> trying to talk you into buying a house, whether you should or not. I mean, I personally think you should live. Somewhere for a year before you buy anything because it takes that long to get a sense of the market and the sense of which neighborhoods are good and which places are going to hold their value. So, um, that's my advice for somebody who has already um, started to take off or made plans. Um, you know, give it some time, um, rent for a while, and get a feel for the place. And you know, you may end up deciding six months later that's not even the place you want to stay. So, you want to have that flexibility to move on and not uh, do House Hunters International is very valuable for seeing what kind of prices people are paying. And that part of it's very accurate. But I think the part where they, um, you know, somebody flies in, looks at three houses and buys something is is not realistic. <laughs> it's good TV, but it's not, it's not even how those people have done it when you look behind the scenes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, they, they, they do recommend typically six months, but a year sounds good too. Uh, if you can get the these uh, or whatever you need to do that. You know, I don't think everybody offers it for a full year without some type of big paperwork.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's most places you can stay three months pretty easily. Mexico, you can stay for six and there's a few countries in South America where you can pretty easily stay for six. Um, The uh, Schengen countries in Europe are difficult. Those are three months. So, yeah, if you haven't started any kind of um, residency paperwork, then you're probably going to have to leave and come back. There are some exceptions, though, like Albania gives Americans a year. Um, it's this obscure thing related to the Balkans conflict, the Bosnian war, um, Georgia gives everybody a year, just about the country of Georgia. And, um, that's becoming kind of an expat haven as well. It's, um, over by Azerbaijan, uh, east of Turkey. So it's, uh, it's a hike to get there, but, um, it's uh, good food, good wine and mountains and ocean. So, uh, the black sea anyway. So, um. You know, that's another attractive place to consider. So, you know, if you're worried about the the residency paperwork, a place like that allows you to just kind of put that off for a while. Mm-hmm.
0: Cool. So, what about people that have? Um, I'm sure it can be overwhelming for some people going into a totally different country. They made this decision. What's some advice for them once they get there to acclimate and to get, have a better odds of staying?
1: Yeah. So this is a time when it definitely does make sense to make friends with expats and seek out, uh, you know, other people who speak your language because they've all done this before. And so, you know, you can meet people physically when you go somewhere, but you can also meet them ahead of time on on Facebook boards, on, on old school message boards. And um, a lot of the advice is out there already. If you just go look for it, um, you're not the first person that's done this. You're not a pioneer striking off into the old west on a covered wagon you know everybody's done this before you hundreds or thousands of people have done this before you so um you know just go seek out that advice and read what they've written what their experience has been like you will see contradictions especially when it comes to visas because um you know different consulates have different rules and you know people have different experiences but you can at least get the general idea of what you're up against and what it's going to be like finding a place to rent, what your, you know, ballpark of what you're going to pay, all that kind of thing is um, pretty easy to find.
0: You've got another book, The World's Cheapest Destinations. Um, So that's a good source, I assume, as well for these people looking to be expats.
1: Yeah, and it's more geared to um, long-term travelers and digital nomads, but it gives you a good idea for which places are good um, bargains to live in too, And yeah, I would normally hold these up, but I'm, I'm <laughs> traveling right now, but, um, uh, yeah, that's actually his fifth edition. That was his, the first book I wrote way back in 2002. Um, so it's been through a few editions and I revise it a bit each time. Sometimes a country will come out. Sometimes another one will come in. Um, and, uh, some places have actually gotten cheaper since then. And, uh, Mexico is one of them. It's actually, uh, cheaper there than when I first visited, you know, 15 years ago because the peso has declined and that's happened in Colombia as well. Uh, So there's a few places that weren't such a bargain before and now they are. So uh, take advantage of it.
0: (laughs) Well, then a place people could go would be your blog to keep up, you know, because it is ever changing the rules, the visa rules, um, you know, the cost of living, those type of things. So what kind of things do you talk about on your blog?
1: Yeah. So both, um, bargain travel and living abroad and also uh, a good bit on tactics, you know, how can you find, uh, good travel bargains in terms of airfare and lodging and, and, uh, you know, playing the credit card game and, um, you know, the loyalty points game. I, I, I encourage people to do that because the sign up bonuses are so good that like, why would you not, you know, at least have one or two credit cards that are travel related and put some regular expenses on there. And before you know it, you've got to a couple free flights and some hotel rooms, and that can uh, save you a lot of money when you're looking at your vacation. It helps with luggage as well. You get free luggage on some Definitely. of them. Which <laughs> is a,
0: a, a, something that I've always wondered about. I, I look at going overseas and some of these, you know, visiting popping around and I see this Ryan air and some of these others, they're 30, 40 bucks. And I can you know, go from here to here, but I assume they nickel and dime you death on things like luggage and that type of thing.
1: Yeah, they work a lot better if you're traveling light, but um, they even nick you for a carry-on, so you're going to pay something no matter what. Um, t- there's one in Mexico too called Viva Aerobus. That's the same thing. You know, it's like you, you look at the fare and you go, "Wow, twenty nine dollars," and then it ends up being one hundred twenty nine yeah. by the time you're done. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah. uh, still, you know, just for getting around, I mean, if you're willing to suck it up and pay, they can still be less than a regular ticket.
0: Mm-hmm. So some people that move. Some of the expats want to continue to work. Some of them can because of the job that they have. Uh, some of them are looking for work. But one of the more popular things is similar to what you're doing, you know, travel writing. And I know you have a book about that as well. So what's some things in it that are good tips for people?
1: Yeah, that one's called Travel Writing 2.0. Um, I would advise people, though, to... to- just know up front that getting established as a travel writer is going to take you a few years. So don't think you're going to just take off tomorrow and next month, you're going to start making a living at it. Because even if you start your own site, it's going to take a lot of time just to get established in Google and, you know, be seen in search. But then even, you know, if you're writing for others as a freelancer, it also takes time just to, you know, build up a reputation, build up some work and that kind of thing. So, there are more lucrative ways to make money uh, quickly. Uh, one of those is teaching English, which is something you can do almost anywhere in the world that it's not their first language. Uh, you're not going to make a ton of money doing that, um, but you know it's enough to, to make a living. Um, but there's other, so many other remote jobs you can do now. Um, even you know sales kind of jobs, customer service, uh, marketing, so many things that didn't used to be remote are. Um, but yeah, as far as physical location jobs. The old reliable ones were English teacher, um, dive instructor, real estate you know, salesman, um, anything like that where you're dealing with other expats or people trying to learn your language. Um, if you try to work as just like a carpenter or something, you're not going to make any money because you're competing with the local workforce and they're willing to work for far less than you probably are.
0: Is it difficult, though, to go over there and work? and make an income and deal with the taxes and everything here, I mean, in the United States and in Mexico or wherever you are?
1: Well, if you, um, there are tax advantages living abroad if you are doing it permanently. If you're just doing it six months here, six months there, you don't get any advantages. But if you actually live in a country for 330 days a year, you get this foreign income exclusion thing where basically up to, I don't know what the figure is now, but like eighty, eighty-five thousand 85,000 of income. You're you're not paying um, U.S. taxes on that amount because the theory is that you're paying taxes where you live, which you usually are even if it's some kind of VAT, you know, that's basically a sales tax. You are paying local taxes, so you're exempt from the U.S. ones. Um, I have only claimed that now and then because I'm going back to the U.S. sometimes for more than 30 days, and I'm also um, running a business that's based in the U.S., um, so it's a little bit more difficult for me, but if you are retiring or moving abroad, um, yeah, I shouldn't say retiring because then you get into the whole, um, you know, retirement, social security and all that. But if you are still paying taxes and you move abroad for a long period, there are advantages, but it's not as difficult as people think. I mean, you can still maintain your U.S. bank, your U.S. brokerage accounts, all of that stuff. You, I mean, I pull money out of my U.S. bank with an ATM. I don't even have a Mexican bank account. I mean, you can establish one if you want. And some residency visas will require you to, like in Thailand. But other countries, they don't care as long as you're spending money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: now, there's tax thing you mentioned, though that's on income that you would be making in another country that that 85,000 or whatever it was. If you're if you move and you're on a, you have a pension or social security, the United States is going to continue to tax you for, forever.
1: That they will a social security or pension, yes, but um yeah, I mean people should get an accountant and look into it and there are even accountant firms that specialize in this. There's one called Greenback Tax a few others that specialize in expats. So they know all the rules inside out. Um, But generally, um, no matter where your money is coming from, if you're living in another country, then you still get that exemption. So even if all your money is being earned from, for me, for example, all of it comes from like Google and Amazon and ad networks um, and things like that. And they're all based in the U.S. or Europe and it's fine. It's it's I can still qualify just because I am in theory, paying taxes in a different country, so it's it's a way to keep you from getting double taxation. Gotcha, but you do have to there, file, though. I want to point that out. Yeah. It's very important. You always have to file if you're an American, no matter what. No matter what. Yep.
0: What a uh, what are some though tax and are there any real tax advantages? Just like I'm going to move over there. I've got Social Security and a pension and a 401k. I'm going to move to wherever. Panama, Ecuador, and are there going to be some kind of tax advantage? I'm still going to be paying the United States, uh, but I just don't have to pay Panama and Ecuador unless I'm buying something? Or-
1: yeah, you will generally be exempt from local taxes. Um, some places like Ecuador and Panama, they have a lot of incentives. Uh, basically, they'll exempt you from property tax. You can import $10,000 worth of goods without getting taxed. And so basically, you're just paying sales tax on, on what you buy. Um, sometimes they will give you a transaction-free real estate, you know, no-tax real estate deal. Um, It's just different in every country, but, you know, any expat uh, you're talking to or any uh, visa attorney or real estate attorney, they'll know all that and they'll be able to give you the details. But the big advantage is if you earn money abroad um, in another country, including the U.S., you don't have to pay taxes up to a certain amount. Nice. So...
0: It may be an outdated term and it's hard to really totally understand, but there's third world countries like Panama we've talked about. But you look at photos of Panama City and it looks like a city in the United States, even it's bigger than some cities in the United States. When you travel to these places, do you think "Mm, third world country or is it most everybody has everything that you need nowadays that it's just not a big deal?
1: yeah i mean there still is poverty in these countries especially when you get out into rural areas um you know and it it can be a little bleak in some of those villages but i think the cities are you know constantly coming along and you know i've got friends who live in mexico city and they love it there and they moved from new york a lot of times and or chicago or somewhere and they think um they've got everything that they need at their fingertips and they're living just a a rich life as they were before. The one drawback is they uh, can't drink the water. And so, you know, that's a little dicey. I mean, supposedly it's um, treated in Mexico City, but nobody really trusts it. So you have some things like that Um, you have to sacrifice. Maybe you have to um, throw your toilet paper into the trash can instead of the the toilet. But, you know, you get used to all this stuff after a while. And the U.S. is the land of convenience and you can get everything you want at any time you want, just about. And Things aren't always con- as convenient in these countries, but you can still pretty much get what you need and, and have the kind of life you want. And um, yeah, maybe it's a little dirtier. Maybe there's a little more graffiti sometimes, but um, most people consider it a fair trade off. Yeah.
0: Are there other disadvantages you can think of for moving abroad?
1: Well, the big one for a lot of people is getting used to the fluidity of time. You know, things just don't happen as quickly. Uh, You know, it's not like this anywhere. Um, People aren't workaholics and they don't uh, understand that that attitude. And so if you hire somebody to come do some work on your house, they're going to show up, but they might not show up exactly when they said they were going to, or sometimes even the day they said they were going to, but they'll get it done eventually. And, you know, meeting times are kind of fluid. um, And so you just have to get used to being more patient about things because um, they look at that as a quality of life thing, you know, why be in such a hurry, you know, and family is really important, more more important than their job and so if uh if the two clash they're going to choose the family option <laughs> yes
0: yeah, so that's another good topic the family you know people in a lot of cases these expats they're leaving children they're leaving parents i mean that's how hard is that to adjust to for those people and is that one of the reasons probably that some people decided it's not for them
1: yeah, I mean, people get homesick and they miss their family. Um, I do think it's a little easier to to do this kind of thing like we are now than it used to be. And so, you know, you can keep seeing everybody's face much easier now if you want. Um, and I do feel like a lot of expats have a better social life after they move than they did before, just because Americans are busy and it's very it's a very car centric culture. You know, you're not running into people on the streets like you are in a colonial Latin American city for example um and you know there's not as many outdoor cafes where people are gathering and so um sometimes people end up having a much better social life and they're happy with it but yeah i mean if you're really grounded in your community and you belong to church groups and you know civic organizations then maybe um you're going to miss home and it's not going to be as good and you might might not be as happy, or you just budget in lots of flights back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what did? What was your main decision for picking Mexico for your place?
1: Yeah, for me it was mostly proximity, um, and there are other places I would gladly live. Um, we actually looked at Nicaragua and Argentina and some other places, but um, I still got a family in, in the U.S. So does my wife, and we wanted to be able to get back if we needed to, especially. You know, my dad was getting older and was in a um, assisted living place, and so I wanted to be able to go on a drop of a hat if I needed to. And you can get back and forth between Mexico and the U.S. really easily, and f- flight prices are quite reasonable. And um, so that that was that all played a part. The fact you could stay for six months on a tourist visa, we didn't even get residency the first time. So um, that was an advantage, but um, yeah, in these coming years, I'm going to just kind of use places as a base and go for three months here, three months there, but then I'll still keep returning to Mexico.
0: Okay. So you will have a permanent spot, not not just be a nomad.
1: Yeah. I mean, I own my house and I do have residency there, so I will um, always have it as my base, but I do like to go experience other places for a while too. Sure.
0: Melissa, well, I got a couple more questions for you. One of them is since, since you brought that up too, what are some of your favorite places that you've been to just from a travel perspective?
1: I really love Peru a lot. I've probably been there five times and I'll go back again. Um, and I love places with mountains. So I really like Nepal and Northern India. I'm, I'm going to go to Patagonia next March. I've already got plans. <laughs> and so, uh, roam around Southern Chile and Argentina for a while. Um, And so, yeah, I like those kind of places. Um, I do like beaches, but I get kind of bored with it after a while. And I like hiking and biking and some more adventure kind of things. But yeah, I I do love Europe too. And I want to spend more time there. Um, I did like Portugal quite a bit. I've only been there once and I want to get back. Uh, But yeah, I mean, any place that's culturally interesting, I, I tend to like to go back to. I'm not really a country counter. I, I, I don't know how many countries I've been to, but I'm not trying to check them off a list. You know, yeah. I want to have a good experience. So.
0: Well, you, I mean, obviously you've been to Peru more than once. What, yeah. what do you like doing there for five, five visits? What all Well, countries? there's
1: a lot of variety. That's part of it. Um, you've, you've got the whole, you know, Cusco, Mon, Cusco, Machu Picchu path that, attracts most people there but there's an amazon jungle area and and the river um there's um arequipa which is a really nice city i've been down to the nazca lines which are you know really cool and there's a lot of wildlife there and um the Colca Canyon is just gorgeous. That's outside of um, Arequipa, and there's some great hiking around there. But I've done a few different treks in Peru, and I really like that experience of you know, taking five days to get somewhere through the mountains. That's a really special experience.
0: Very nice. All right, so the finale. Let's hear your list maybe of the top places for people to retire if they want to leave the United States. Some <laughs> suggestions from you.
1: Yeah. So I think the easiest for Americans, um, would be Mexico, Panama, Colombia, and Ecuador. They're already well set up for you and ready to welcome you. And the visa situation is pretty easy. If you are going to Europe, um, I would strongly suggest checking into, um, Albania because it's right across the water from Italy and you get a year long tourist visa to decide whether you like it or not. Um, otherwise Portugal is still um, a good value. And then, um, If you're ready to go all the way to Asia, then uh, Malaysia is, I think, the best value out there. And they've got this thing called the My Second Home program where you can get um, residency there just by putting plunking down some money into a bank.
0: Very nice. All right. Well, this has been great. Very informative. Very interesting. Let us know real quick before we head out, especially since uh, this will be on a podcast as well.
1: The websites to find all your good stuff. Sure. Well, if you can remember my name, timleffel.com, that links out to everything and it's got my books on there. It's kind of just my portfolio site, but the best place to see my regular rants are on the cheapest destinations blog. And then I, uh, I run a narrative site with uh, narrative travel stories from book authors and that's called perceptive travel.com. But you can always just Google my name and find all of this stuff. Great. All right. For
0: everybody else, if you want to hear some of the previous podcasts from me, From moving abroad, there's the address, anchor.fm forward slash moving abroad. Tim, we appreciate it. Have a good time over here in the United
1: States. Yeah, thanks, Doug. And uh, thanks for taking the time. And uh, hopefully we'll talk down the line.
0: All right, great.